morning, everyone, and welcome to Sailorville Church uh, live online here this Sunday morning, uh, March 24th, 2020, in the midst of our COVID uh, situation here. Uh, but we're not far away from coming back together again. But before I get there, a very happy Memorial Day weekend to all of you and a special shout out to all of those of you, uh, men and women who... Uh, have or are currently serving one of the branches of our military, protecting the freedoms of our country here in the United States of America. And especially a special memory shout out to all those who have loved ones who uh, have died in that cause. So this is a very, very special weekend. Uh, some of you will be decorating graves, etc. I'm sure of that. But thanks for joining us uh, here this morning. And uh, what is this, uh, what is it, week 11? 11th week in a row that we have met in this way. Uh, today, we'll look at another group of people who ask that same question, what is it? Uh, except that the question actually became the answer. And if that's confusing, I'll explain that after just a little bit. But we're all really looking forward to, uh, just as you are, coming back together uh, to worship corporately again. And we're just going to put it out there. We did it to our people the other day in an email. I'm putting it out there live right now that on June 14th, God willing, we will reconvene coming together in corporate worship here at Sailorville Church with three services as we have at 8, 9.30 and 11 o'clock. Uh, but we're going to be coming out and rolling out some very, very important information, especially to those of you who are members and regular attenders here. You'll be getting that information in just the next couple of days. So if you're complaining, you can stop right there. Uh, hold your horses if you're, uh, if you're complaining. Actually, if you're, if you're given to complaining, and I encourage you to take your Bible and find Exodus 16 as we continue in our series on the journey to freedom in Exodus, uh, I got a better solution than holding your horses. How about eating your manna? And I'll explain that too. Now, last week and for several weeks previous, we've been going through the book of Exodus and uh, it was originally titled The Journey to Freedom. And this, we just added the word continues because after salvation, after the deliverance out of Egypt, after Moses had led the people of God out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness, sang the praises of God, came to the waters of Marah that were bitter, brackish, and God miraculously quenched their thirst. And that'll happen again and again uh, during this trek. Uh, if you'll remember, we said that complaining was really the outward manifestation of the unbelief of the children of Israel. Uh, I was meeting with one of our guys. I meet with several guys every week that I'm discipling, men who have come to Christ. Uh, uh, they're just a pure joy to work with. And we were going over the sermon last week, and one of them, uh, his big takeaway was the contrast uh, between complaining and gratitude, except that I didn't make that contrast in my message. I was both thrilled with the insight he got and sort of bummed that I didn't say that myself last week because that is... The contrast. And normally, normally you don't get a do-over uh, when you miss something so, in my mind, glaringly obvious. Except today I do. I do get a do-over. Because when we get to the scripture reading, we're going to see the problem hasn't changed. In fact, in the early part of the reading, you're going to see that the people, whereas you had groups of people that were complaining, now you got a whole nation of malcontents. So herein lies the ultimate reason for expressing 
gratitude to God. Despite your grumbling, despite your murmuring, despite your complaining, God still cares and still provides for you. Uh, that should give you reason to praise and give thanks to God. Now, speaking of the, of the Bible reading, my good friend, Zach Fisher, intern here at Sailorville Church, uh, uh, making his way out and Lord willing into ministry is going to come and uh, share the, uh, the, uh, the text uh, this morning. Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 30. Zach, would you come? Let's read this together. <clears throat> they set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let, none of, uh, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. 
And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Thanks so much, Zach. Appreciate uh, the Bible reading. Long passage of scripture, but I wanted you to get the whole. I wanted a good guy to read it who put the right kind of emphasis where it needed to be. uh, The emphasis needed to be. And thanks for doing that, Zach. Appreciate that so much. So did you catch that right out of the chute in the Bible reading? The whole congregation, verse 2, grumbled. They grumbled before they left Egypt because they were being overworked. They grumbled because of the waters of Marah a few days earlier. Now they're grumbling over hunger. Now, the complaining goes on. It's going to go on again, but it's used eight times. The word grumble is referred to eight times in the first 12 verses alone. And that affirms the fact that the Bible is not only the word of God, it's the word from God. Why do I say that? Because who writes a biography of themselves and continually throws themselves under the bus? We know that God is examining us as he was examining them repeatedly in the passage. He heard them. He heard the grumbling. He heard the grumbling. And he would respond appropriately. Back to the word grumble used repeatedly in this passage so let's just look at the word. The word, the Hebrew word is more than just sort of whiny complaining. The, the Hebrew word conveys a kind of open rebellion, which of course usually starts with a low-grade temperature of whining and complaining and then gives birth to rebellion. It speaks more of mutiny than just murmuring. And why? Verse 3, over the meal plan. I mean, here they are, oh, we, I wish we were back in Egypt. We could sit around the pots and eat as much as we want. Why? So they could just go back to work. I mean, the Egyptians fed them so they could work them to death. And by the way, in chapter 17 and verse 3, and way back earlier when they came out of Egypt, but you got to, sometimes we, we, we lose sight of these things. Don't simply picture the Jewish people leaving Israel just with the shirts on their backs. They, they were absolutely socked down with stuff. They had livestock and all of the riches. They literally completely took over Egypt and took out all these, so many possessions and garments and gold and silver, the stuff that they would end up making the tabernacle uh, from. But they had lots of livestock. And from that livestock, uh, they, would, uh, they would have gotten milk and cheese and meat. They weren't starving is what I'm trying to tell you. They're a little bit like the guy who, uh, 
who uh, has lots of money in the bank, but he refuses to tap into it, you know, for fear, you know, he might lose some of those resources. I remember years ago, a guy in our church, a uh, young guy, a little family, he'd been temporarily laid off. We felt bad for him, so uh, uh, the leadership gave him some money, a nice little chunk of change, and he was a little hesitant, but yeah, he took it. I found out that that guy had a gigantic cash, stash, a stash of cash in the bank. <laughs> I wasn't real happy about that. But that's, he was a little bit like these Egyptian, or not Egyptian, these Jewish people. And verse four tells us that God brought them to this place in the desert as a test. He even uses the word test here. He's testing them because they're, they're seeing their resources deplete. I mean, they are wondering, you know, these, we got livestock, but, you know, we're eventually going to need something else. Warren Wiersbe has said, what life does to us depends on what life finds in us. That's a great point. Paul David Tripp uses a very simple illustration. I want to share it with you. I love this little illustration. Here's a bottle of water. If the bottle of water is you or me, and uh, if I shake the water, the bottle, that is, what comes out? Well, your immediate response and most is water. But Tripp makes the point, no, what comes out is what's in the bottle. You're the bottle. When you're shaken, whatever's in the bottle, whatever's in your life, whatever's in your heart, whatever's in your mind, that's what comes out. And for these Jewish people, it was murmuring. It was grumbling. And once again, it was a lot easier to get Israel out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of Israel. There's an old Jewish saying, very similar, which says, we don't see things as they are. We see as we are. It's the glasses we're wearing. I had somebody very close to me just the other day. We were having this, I'm just going to call it a debate, which is a kind word for the conversation we were having over a certain situation that took place some time ago. We were both looking at the exact same thing. But we weren't looking at it the same. We were looking at it very, very differently. Now, in the end, according to verse 8, and Zach brought this out very clearly in just the scripture reading, they weren't griping. They weren't grumbling against a meal plan. They were grumbling against God's plan. It wasn't Moses and Aaron, but God. And I want to remind you of something because even though we were told early on in this trek that God led them by a pillar of a cloud in the day, which also provided shade and protection in the hot sun and also a pillar of fire by night. Uh, I want to remind you again, uh, they weren't leading the cloud. <laughs> the cloud was leading them. Moses and Aaron were just the representatives, much like a pastor is today over a church. God is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And in this case, God was leading them. But they looked at the human element, blamed it on Moses, said we would have been better off, you know, being in Egypt rather than dying out here uh, in the desert. God's plan includes the need for you and I to trust him in trials. And we mentioned this last week. We'll say it again. God leads us and he does lead us into trials by design in order to test us. 
it should be no surprise then that if you read the book of Romans, which is really just the, just the creme de la creme of all books in the Bible on God's plan of salvation, in the very first chapter, when God describes the depravity of men in general, it says when they, 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 didn't, they knew of God, they didn't worship him as God, but became you know, foolish in their imaginations and they were not thankful. One of the very first characteristics of depravity is ingratitude. So if you're a murmurer, you are an ungrateful person. And no one likes a, no one likes a murmur, right? Nobody likes a grumbler. And uh, most grumblers out there, if you're one of them, uh, have already plenty of experience experiencing social distancing, right? <laughs> because nobody wants to be around you. Nobody likes a grumbler. And they were all grumbling. That's what verse 2 says. So who were the instigators to all this grumbling? Well, according to Exodus 12, verse 38, and Numbers 11 and verse 4, there is an expression used there in, in Exodus 12, 38 called, there was a mixed multitude that went out with the Jews, with Israel, and through the Red Sea into the, into the wilderness. Who were they? We don't have a ton of information, but best we know how, mostly they were Egyptians. Uh, and maybe some from some of the neighboring nations that Egypt was over, but they were a mixed, mixed with Jewish people. That's the idea. They'd made their way out either by professing faith in Jehovah God, seeing all these mighty miracles, plagues that you know, drove them out of Egypt, or just seeing the Jewish caravan as their ticket out of their own bondage. Either way, they got in. They got in, and they got in in more ways than one. Why is this important? Why do I point this out? Because God's people have always had the fakers and the takers, <laughs> those who really have taken hold of Jesus Christ, God's plan of salvation, and those who are faking it all along. Fakers are often the grumblers. They start low, but they can be very crafty and influential, even intellectual. Uh, but they will lead and they will mislead. And we were, to were told that repeatedly throughout the New Testament. During the life of Jesus, for instance, in Matthew 13, he gave a couple of parables. One was the parable of the wheat and tares. Uh, that's where he says, let the wheat grow up with the tears because when they're really young, they're virtually indistinguishable. But once they mature, you, ah, yeah, there's the weed, there's the real wheat. And later on in that same parabolic chapter, Jesus tells about the parable of the dragnet. You remember that one? That's toward the end of chapter 13. That's where, you, you know, they would, a dragnet would be the, the fishing net would be long, be narrow. They would go along the shore and they would be sweeping up fish. And of course, they would get all kinds of fish, some that you could keep and some you couldn't keep and you'd throw out the ones you couldn't keep. But in both instances, what Jesus says is, in the end, God sorts it out. <laughs> he sorts it out. And so when we get frustrated uh, by those we wonder whether they're really Christians or not, even though they're in the mix, realize in the end, God sorts it out. I, I just came to my mind, 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, uh, here is the seal of God. The Lord knows those who are his. It's one of my favorite expressions. I think it's 2 Timothy, 
219. I could be wrong. Look it up. But anyway, the Lord knows those who are his. The point is, it might be 1 Timothy now that I think about it. Here I am randomly talking. That's what you do when you're not looking, you're, you're going off your notes. But the Lord knows those who are his. That's all you got to know. God's going to sort it out in the end. And so, uh, on the other hand, we have these warnings that come after the gospel accounts and they're replete throughout the New Testament. Paul says in Acts chapter 20 to the Ephesian elders, now look, after I leave, grievous wolves will enter in, mixed multitude, not sparing the flock. Even amongst your own selves, false teachers will rise up. And I warned you. So he has that warning there. Where Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6, purge out the old leaven. That's those individuals who get in and corrupt because a little leaven leavens the, the whole. And later on in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, bad company corrupts good morals. So you see all the corrupting influences that fakers will have and have the potential of having in a church. And then even later in Jude's little epistle, he tells us, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but God has impressed upon me to tell you to contend for the faith because evil men have crept in unaware. That's spooky stuff. Years ago, even in this church, at Sailorville Church, uh, there were some within our church either uh, intentionally or maybe just Maybe they had other higher reasons, but either way, they, there were some people in our church uh, that were impacted by a, a, a couple of intellectuals who argued uh, that overemphasis on Bible reading was really just another form of legalism. So you really don't need to worry about reading your Bible every day. I mean, I mean seriously, that just, I mean, that, that's just another form of legalism. I think they had good intentions, but they were actually corrupting people without even realizing it. As we make our way to the manna and its symbolism and the importance of the regular daily intake of the word of God, that, that's going lo to loom large in our ability to discern between the, the takers and the fakers, the real followers of Jesus versus those who are not could be because remember Jesus, fakers are going to get into the church there's no way to completely uh, extract them there are mechanisms that God has given us when somebody falls into sin known sin and they refuse they repent there is the church discipline mechanism and and praise God for churches that are obedient to obey that mechanism to obey that command but there will always be a mixed multitude, so to speak. So verse 12 and 13 says that in spite of the grumbling, God provided for them quail and the manna. Uh, can you relate to that, by the way, that in spite of your grumbling, God has provided for you? I, I actually wrote this down. I think of all the things that God has provided for me in spite of me. The quail is almost a, it's just interesting i don't want to get in the weeds on the on the quail here uh this is one of two times that quail are mentioned that came these they didn't come every day for 40 years as some might think they came here at night before the bread came in the morning 
And they would come again later on in judgment. You can read that for yourself in another passage, actually Numbers 11, and they come three feet deep. They got it coming out of their nostrils. And that's where God is just absolutely repulsed by their wickedness at that time. But it, they didn't get this for 40 years. They did get the bread because the focal point is on the manna now. In fact, in verse 35, at the very end of the chapter, it even says, he sort of tells us something before it all takes place. He says, they ate manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. So this is what they got all the time, manna. Served up, by the way, as a kind of complete supplement, a complete food source. It had a dynamic a nutrient quality that basically met all of their metabolic needs without meat, without dairy, without fruit, and without vegetables. Now, they would complain that they didn't have all those things, but apparently there was a dynamism about this man. I mean, if you, I mean, you, you nutritionists out there, you people who get on Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook and you put your little things and you show your food and you put out the presentation, man, if you could have this, <laughs> you'd have quite a following. But this, you won't have this because this was a miracle from God. And they could bake it, they could boil it, do all kinds of things. But it, as long as they ate it, because they had to eat it uh, when it came. And the miracle really is a couple fold. It was provided every morning as we saw. It was enough for the day and only that day. Unless it was Friday when God would rain down, rain down twice as much man. It looked like snow on the ground. And then there would be none the next day. Because that was the Sabbath. That was the day of rest. Let's just quickly look at this because uh, some of you have heard me talk about the law of first reference. In verse 23 and 24, you have the very first reference to the Sabbath found in the Bible. And do you notice that it wasn't just a rest, but it was a solemn rest. See that there? The word solemn means a complete rest. And by the way, the law of first reference basically says when a significant word is used in the Bible, it usually has ramifications of the way in which it's used otherwise. Like love for the first time is used in Genesis 22 when God tells Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, first reference, and offer him up as a burnt sacrifice on Mount Moriah. So their love sounds almost like John 3:16, almost identical to it. It's a mirror. But here we have a sense the Sabbath was, was meant to, does mean to rest, but it wasn't just a rest, but a solemn rest. And it wasn't just a Sabbath, but if you'll notice, it was a holy Sabbath. The word holy means sacred. It means apartness. Uh, so the idea is it wasn't just, a, it isn't just to take a break, but to reflect upon your relationship with the living God who takes care of you, who can take care of you with just enough food for the day and then on the day before give you twice as much food to get through the next day because nothing's coming on that day. That's a miracle. And by the way, who was God giving these instructions to? Well, the answer is the Jews. But what Jews? The answer to that is the Jews that came out of Egypt. I want you to think about that for a moment. They had been in Egypt for 400 years. And for hundreds of years, they had been slaves. And they had been under harsh taskmasters. 
They, they had not known a rest. They had not known a break. They had not known a Sabbath for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is the first time they're told, hey, you get to take a break. Imagine how amazing that would have been. And that's why we talked about this being early on in the te a test. The test was to trust. Would they trust God? to meet their needs. And God put right within the daily provision a test. And of course, they screwed up just like you and, we, you and I do. I mean, verse 27, is it any wonder they defied the commands? The same faithless people who kept the bread that went bad went looking for the bread on the Sabbath that wasn't there, I'm sure of it, because they weren't trusting the Lord probably even after stashing a bunch of it the day before when they got the extra. But hey, they're just trying to get ahead, just like you, just like me. Got to get ahead. Got to build up that savings, you know. Got to have that 401k. Got to have... Look, I'm not against saving. The Bible says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Uh, but let's be wise. Let's think about this. I know these are hard times. But your garbage disposal eats better than 30% of the world's population. Did you know that? Your garbage disposal in the United States of America eats better than 30% of the world's population. Philip Reichen is right when he says, we live in a culture of accumulation. That's what we live in. And now God's sort of put a stop to that. Some of you are hurting a little bit. Some of, some of you are hurting a lot. Some not at all. This hasn't impacted you at all. But we live in a culture of accumulation. And that, that sense of hoarding, that sense of saving, save, 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 save. It's, it's in many of us. And when we have that thought process, we lose what God wants us to trust him to meet our needs. We need better bread than what that provides. And speaking of which, I want to kind of get into the balance of our time here. Uh, manna, verse 15. <laughs> Remember when they look at verse 15, they see this coming down, these flakes coming down, the snowy stuff coming down. And the, the first question is, what is it? <laughs> and that's the Hebrew word man, which we get our word mana. They said, so that's what I meant when I said earlier, the question became the answer. What is it? It's manna. <laughs> Just the other day, I was talking to my, my granddaughter, Nina, named after her grandmother, now with the Lord. And uh, they got a new, a new kitten. I saw the little kitty, cute little kitty, held the little kitty. I said, this is a cute little kitty. What's the name of the kitty? She said, kitty. <laughs> you named the kitty, kitty? I said, I looked at her, I said, how'd you like it? We just named you girl. <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, Papa, that is what my name means in Spanish. <laughs> so she was one up on me on that day. So, Manna, daily. How is God's word like manna? This is pretty simple stuff. You'll probably come up with other reasons, other ways, but I just want to give you five as we wrap it up here this morning. First, it comes from heaven. The manna came from heaven, so did the word of God. All scripture is inspired by God. 
given, breathed out by God and useful for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the person of God could be complete, equipped for every good work, and that all comes from God. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says that the scripture didn't come from someone's private interpretation, but holy men of God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So explain all that to the grumbling. Uh, these people were grumbling, and yet God was providing. He had given them manna from heaven He's given to you and to me manna from heaven in the word of God. I don't know who said it, but I love this line. The Bible isn't a book that men could write if they would or would write if they could. A little brain teaser. I'll give it to you again. The Bible isn't a book that men could write if they would. Why? Because it comes from heaven or would write if they could. Why? Because it condemns us. Apart from God, we don't write books that condemn ourselves, not normally anyway. The second thing I want you to, how it's like manna is it's supernatural in its content. Again, the writer of Hebrews puts it best. He says, the word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit. I mean, theologians and dissertations and books are written about the division between the soul and the spirit. There's only one thing that can divide your soul and your spirit, and that's this book, The Manna from Heaven. Supernatural in its content. It, it divides between soul, spirit, joints, marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. That makes it a super natural book. That's why Paul said to the Thessalonians, I'm so glad, I'm so thankful to God that when you, when you receive the word of God, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, watch this, that effectively works in those who believe. Have you ever read that? It effectively works in those who believe because it's a supernatural book. And Paul said again to the Ephesians that he warned about the wolves, grievous wolves entering into the mixed multitude. He said, I want to commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst the saints. Why? Well, because it's a supernatural book, that's why, and it's content. Third, third way in which God's word is like manna, it's best when it's eaten early. Let the early bird catch the worm, let the early Christian Enjoy the bread of life in the word of God. Did you, did you notice in Zach's Bible reading, verse 21, when the sun grew hot, it melted. I think you should probably underline it. I have had debates over the years with individuals who say, I don't, you know, I don't think you need to read the Bible every day. Or if I read it, I'll read it throughout the day or I'll catch it in my car on the way to work or I'll read it before I go to bed. And you know, let me, I've said it and I'll say it again a hundred times. If you're reading your Bible at any time of the day, God bless you. Good for you. But I can't emphasize enough the importance of reading scripture in the morning before your day gets going. You read the patriarchs in the Old Testament. They all spent time with God early on. Job said, I treasured the words of your heart. Uh, I've treasured your words more than my, the food that's necessary for me. Jeremiah said, I found your word and I ate it. 
I love how David put it in Psalm 63 while he was on the run. He said, early will I seek you. Some of your Bibles say earnestly, but the, the correct translation really is early because the Hebrew word shakar means to look early or diligently for. It almost pictures those Jews out there collecting the manna. Early will I seek you. My soul longs for you. My flesh longs for you like a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. The word of God is best when it's eaten early. Fourthly, it's temporary. It's temporarily sustaining. It's temporarily sustaining. Now, Jesus quoted Moses in Deuteronomy 8 one day when he was being tempted by the devil. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's how we live. And the food that you eat today, the real literal food that you're eating today won't do for tomorrow. The truth you eat today won't either. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Not weekly, not monthly, not yearly, not whenever I sort of feel like it, my daily bread. And you can, you can be sure that as Jesus said that to those Jewish, Jewish disciples, they thought of this time in the wilderness and the manna coming down every day and only for that day. Daily bread. Establish a regular early eating habit. I love, I wake up every morning hungry for God's word. That doesn't make me better than you or anybody else. It just means I've established a habit. That's all it means. I can't wait to get to it. I hope you will get there as well. I remember years ago, it's kind of, I'll admit it was a little cruel. I was preaching on hungering and thirsting after righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount. And this little country church, uh, very small quarters, place was packed. I had my wife get her bread making machine. And behind me the entire time was baking a fresh loaf of bread. Oh, by the way, I'd called the church to a fast that week. And about three-fourths of them had not eaten for an entire day. And all they smelled during my sermon was fresh baked bread. And then my, old, my buddy Vince, he just, when I got done, he runs up to the pulpit where I'd taken the bread out in front of them and cut the bread while the steam was coming up and smell was wafting over the congregation. He couldn't wait. He, he literally came forward in the invitation just to get some bread. And, uh, and he said, man, you were driving me crazy. Wouldn't it be great if you'd have that kind of hunger for God's word each morning? You'll develop that kind of habit if you'll see it as a temporary sustaining thing. That's why you need it every, every day. Fifthly and finally, I love this idea. And I actually got this from uh, uh, another friend in ministry. I love this thought. You have to stoop down to get it. I confess, as a little Catholic boy... I didn't read my Bible, but I did reverence it. In fact, I was taught that if I had a little Bible and I, and I, I dropped it, I was to stoop down, pick it up, and then kiss it out of reverence. Before you eat breakfast, stoop down and eat the daily bread of God's word. 
Listen, your stomach might be grumbling, but you won't because you will find your greatest need, your greatest meal, your greatest presentation is not the food that you eat, but the bread that you take in from God. In John chapter 6, the Lord Jesus Christ, after feeding 5,000 people, compared the bread that the Jews got in the wilderness to himself. He said, I, I'm the bread of life. The Jews basically said, well, your bread wasn't as cool as Moses's. And Jesus basically said, Moses's bread wasn't as cool as mine because those people ate and still died. You eat what I'm giving you, I'm offering you myself. You'll live and you'll live forever. I am your daily and eternal sustenance. Do you want to live? Then come and eat. If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to consume him is to believe upon him with all of your heart. Now, I don't mean just intellectually, but I mean with all of your heart, believe him. Believe that he died for your sins. Believe that he rose from the dead. Believe that he'll take your sins away. He'll come to live within you and give you spiritual sustenance that will last forever as you daily feast upon his word. Will you do that? And if you do, will you let us know? Let's pray together. God, we thank you. Thank you for the manna from heaven that we have to this day. It's a miracle. The Bible is a miracle. It's the living word from you. And we partake of it and we commit ourselves to do so. And dear ones, if you're listening to this online and you're still thinking about this, would you just pray in your heart, God, I want to love you and I know to love you is to love your words. I want to love your words and I will promise you today that I will read your words early and every day. If that's your prayer, would you just express that back to God right now? Make that promise to him. That's a promise you ought to make. For those of you who are hearing a message and you would say, I'm still empty in my soul. I feel so empty. I know about Jesus, but I don't know him. Would you believe him to be the one who can fill your soul? Take away your sin and be your savior. Place your faith in him today and be saved, dear friend. And God will give you the praise. Our daily bread comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen.